We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's springtime for the next 36 hours here in New York City. It's it, good. It is truly, it's springtime for Myers. Oh, man. And Germany. <laughs> well, I was, the one thing I try to do in every episode is not give you an opportunity to sing. And it didn't, we didn't even get a minute. Nope. No. No, you got fucked. Anyway, yes. <laughs> It's beautiful outside. Birds are chirping. I saw a flower the other day, which is always like, always activates. I, I turn into a dead. I'm like, oh, a flower. Oh, my God. <laughs> pointing it out to your dog. Yep. Like, oh, right, I, to- I totally do. I point it out to the dog. I point it out to the kids. It's like, it's the same shit as if I see like a fox outside. I'm like, oh, my God. Everybody, everyone has to come see this scavenger who's going to kill the dog if he, if he ever gets near the dog. <laughs> Everyone has to see you. I could make him into a fur coat if I catch him, and we could domesticate him. Hey, our guest this week, David Roth, is the fantastic Rachel Handler of Vulture at New York Magazine. Rachel Handler, yay! Hello. Thank you for having me. Very excited. How are you, Rachel? You know, I'm okay. It's it's things are looking up slightly. I would say, like you're you're talking about the weather. It's a huge. Uh, mood booster for me, so I'm feeling better. You caught me on a good day. That's great. I'm like, there are actual <laughs> good days now, and that's, well, we're speaking relatively, of all course. relative, and yet, like, I think the other day, I oh yeah, well, it was yesterday. Yesterday, my in-laws are fully vaccinated, and they came into our house, and they were the first people in our house in like a literal year. So it was like, wow. and like it was 70 outside, and so I was like, this is a actual good day like yeah. this is this is i don't need to i don't need to couch it in the well it's okay <laughs> i'm okay i was actually yeah. like i'm doing good so that was very nice. there's been like a steady drip of like people i know posting vaccination selfies or whatever and that has been kind of sustaining me the last couple of weeks too just like I mean, my parents are now fully there or they're in that inoculation period. Like my sister got it some time ago because she works in a hospital. But the like people I know that are like teachers and have just had to like eat shit in the most egregious possible ways for the last year, like getting it are like that has lifted my spirits like nothing else. Yeah, it's great. We've had five staffers. I believe it's five who've gotten uh, virally disinfected, which has been a delight. Although also Mm -hmm. I will tell you that I live in a state whose rollout has been a total disaster. So I'm sitting there like, like we ha- they haven't even gotten like below 75-year-olds yet. Like, they're still... Oh, God. And I'm sitting there like... And like today, like, Lindsay Adler was like, oh, my God, there's like, there's 40,000 appointments available at the Javits Center. And I'm like, if New York can't fuck this up, and my state yeah. can, <laughs> oh, God, Larry Hogan. Where are you? I'm in Maryland, which is... Re- oh, okay. Like, the governor is Larry Hogan. And even Democrats here like like him. They're like, oh, well, he's a nice Republican. He's a piece of shit. He's a total, <laughs> yeah. total bag of shit. And I hate him. But how are you doing, Rachel Handler? Like personally, <laughs> nailing the pivot. <laughs> <laughs> Things are good. You know, I just uh, I just did an interview with Pedro Almodovar, who I love. Ooh. So you know, like I said, relatively good. Uh, how was he's can best. you can without spoiling the interview? Because obviously, you can't give away stuff that's going to post later. But was Pedro interesting? Was he was he was he suitably kooky? Well, I d- it just posted today. He was he's not kooky. I mean, he's goofy. He's a, he's a sweetie. Like he's just he's kind of like a teddy bear. He's really smart, 
but he's very sweet. I don't know. He, I got a very warm energy from him. And he was wearing a really cute little sweater and he was in his little library. I don't know. He's just a sweet, uh, well, a sweet Well, we're talking about him. I, and you don't have him on the phone anymore, so I can't, but I wanted to yell. Yeah, he's always on the I phone. I wanted to yell at him about Talk to Her because I hated that movie. <gasps> I, I love that movie. I hated it because it's about a nurse. About male nurse, and he he impregnates a comatose lady. That's so gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> but it's like it's in the Listen. it's in the Almodovar mood where you're kind of yeah. like you're like oh I think that didn't really happen. That's just something that like a whimsical man in a hat in Spain thought would be interesting to happen. Yeah, but it's not a well, it's not a dolly painting. It's like a it's a movie. It's still I, I found it I found it problematic before it was hip to find things problematic. And I just want credit for that. I mean, I haven't actually seen it in a while, but. Uh, I do feel like it's one of those like depiction doesn't equal endorsement things like that. We are becoming less and less good at understanding as a people. <laughs> yeah. He wants a content warning on it. I know, like, like he's not telling us to do that. Um, <laughs> I would guess. It would be, it would be interesting is if, if, if he got canceled because of that movie and Republicans were like, I can't believe they canceled that guy that we're going to pretend to know for five seconds, just so we can be pissed off. And, <laughs> <laughs> that would be an amazing, like, if everybody, like, Newt Gingrich was making a big deal of posting with himself, like, holding a DVD of, like, like, <laughs> like Volver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like you telling me I can't rent Time Me Up, Time Me Down on Amazon without a five-minute prologue from a feminist activist? I can't believe it. It's disgusting. <laughs> the incredible of Marjorie Taylor Greene gets really into the Almodovar canon just to just to make me mad. How was it uh, <laughs> interviewing uh, Pedro, someone you obviously you had reverence for, Rachel, but you couldn't? I assume you were not able to do this face to face, correct? Well, no, no, no. We were on Zoom. Um, it was great. I mean, I, I actually have spoken to him once before, but it was it was a briefer conversation back in the olden days when we used to see people in person. Um, he's just, I, like I said, he's just a delightful person. You would, I, he's so talented and so smart. And so you would, I, you would think he would be intimidating, but he's not. One thing that's nice about the zoom interview, like the zoom profile thing. I know this cause I, I had to profile Christian McCaffrey for GQ and I did it over zoom. And, and one of the first things my editor there, uh, Chris Gamali did was like, I, I did the thing where I, I talk about how we had to set up the Zoom call at first. And he's like, you don't need any of this shit. And I was like, so I got rid of it. But the funny thing was that the Zoom calls now have essentially made extinct the part of the profile where the writer, like, sits down at a cafe with the subject and, like, you know, tries to read too deeply into the fact that they got, like, uh, a, a Queen Amon or some shit like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a Frise salad. Yeah, like yeah, somehow yeah, In the lead of your Ben Affleck profile. Right. He barely, he barely, barely picks it at the, <laughs> at the, at the tart flambe he orders. Very, very curious. <laughs> I have like a weird mental catalog of every awkward one of those that I've ever read. There's one from, I read in college that I remember of Vince Vaughn, I believe in Details Magazine. And the first line of it was, here's how Vince Vaughn takes a shot. <laughs> <laughs> And it's oh, like, God. that's just stuck in my brain for the rest of my fucking life. Oh, I would, my God. I would love to get rid of it, but it's not happening at all. Yeah. yeah so when you get vaccinated, uh, Rachel, you need to – they should be able to have you do a follow-up at Vulture where you can actually meet Pedro in person and have, like, a very, very 
like ornate, whimsical Spanish meal. That would be, I think that they'll, <laughs> they'll fly me to Spain. Yeah, I think that'll definitely happen as soon as I'm vaccinated. Seems seems reasonable. Uh, there's how Pedro Almodovar eats jamón ibérico. <laughs> I want to know that. Yeah. I'm interested in that piece of information. I almost personally. got sent an entire one by the staff of the takeout because they like they had me do stunt pieces for them. So like one time they bought me a wagyu steak that I ruined on purpose. And another time they sent me a bunch of caviar that I tried to feed to my dog and he didn't want it. And the next one was going to be a, a, a Hamona Birico. And Kevin Fang was like, you want this? And I was like, I was like, shit, yeah, I want the ham. But then he quit and I never got the ham. So it was nah. fair. And wow. that is my incredible tale. That's very sad. Speaking Rachel, of- do you have any ham stories that you'd like to share with our listeners? <laughs> I've, I once made a ham for a story, actually. Really? That's about it. Yeah. So what do you do? Uh, I, I, it was like a pre-cooked, it was the, the story I did, I think maybe two years ago where I was living like Reese Witherspoon for a week, like her Southern charm book or whatever. Reese Witherspoon uh, is from the South. I've never, <laughs> she never oh. mentions it. It's so weird. <laughs> well, yeah, she, uh, so I did, I did a little, like, you know, I made all these little meals in her book and dressed like her and all that. And, uh, one of them was making a ham and I've never, I'm not, I do not cook like at all. Uh, my boyfriend usually cooks everything and I'm, I mess everything up, uh, but, but this was easy because it was pre-cooked, so I, I, it was really difficult to mess up. So I just kind of put it in the oven. I think I, like, slathered it with some sauce that she recommended, and my friends ate it and pretended that it was okay. Was it already a ham when you got it? Because I'm actually – I'm very curious about the the hamming process. I don't actually know what cut of the, the pig the ham is, and I don't know how they get it to taste like ham. Like, I, I assume they cure it and, like, smoke it, but – it, it was cured, but I, that's the the last piece of information I have about ham. All right. Because <laughs> I, I, I can't say. As a ham enthusiast, I feel like I should know more about how the ham is made. So to that end, because one of my favorite pieces of yours, or one of your favorite pieces uh, that I really, really loved, was you uh, you endeavored to recreate a scene from It's Complicated, where Meryl Streep <laughs> makes croissants. It was croissants, right? From scratch. Yeah. Well, stoned out of her mind. So, so the first thing I wanted to ask was, did you do the Reese Witherspoon ham recipe while stoned? I assume not. No, I, I, I was very strict with my protocol. I, I got stoned and then I made the croissants and then I got stoned again and made the rest of the croissants because it's a like three day process. Um, and that was it. I, I, and then I would just kind of like fuck off after that because I was really happy. Have you... Have you made croissants, stoned or not stoned, since then? Absolutely not, and I never will. It was so <laughs> incredibly hard. hard. It yeah. was so hard. It was one of the hardest, and the only reason I wasn't stressed about it because it was because I was like, if this turns out bad, it doesn't actually matter. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if these croissants are bad. It might be funnier if they're right. Bad, it'd be so better copy if they sucked. Yeah, yeah. So I so. I think that's the only reason they were good, which is, which is a life lesson I'm trying to hold on to, right? Like I really need to just detach from the outcome of everything and be high all the time. And I think that way, everything I do will be good. It's amazing <laughs> learning Nancy Myers life lessons, even by proxy in a story about Nancy Myers. My God. Did you, I don't think Nancy would agree with that lesson. Actually, Did you bite into the croissant and you were like, wow, this is good. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I, I started to like have an existential crisis because I was like, "This is the first thing in my life that I haven't cared about the outcome, and it's good." What is this telling me? No, it actually wasn't that. Good. They were like technically good, but they, I forgot salt, so they didn't really taste like anything. Oh, I remember but, the lack of salt. That's tough. 
that's a tough but then i put salt on the top and it, it was totally fine so it was you know i'm still trying to unpack that what the universe was trying to tell me there uh i remember i remember reading it because i had not I've only seen, I believe, one Nancy Myers movie, I think, and it's The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan, like mm. her star turn. And I remember watching it with my kids, and it's because it's like a children's movie, but it's like, it's not, because it's totally a Nancy Myers movie. Because like, like Dennis Quaid is the dad, and like he leaves Natasha Richardson because he's got like this new hot girlfriend that he, like, and like the new hot girlfriend, like, like, it's always, like, tempting him to, like, bone, like, at any moment. Like, whenever he gets out of line, she's like, oh, well, we could get naughty. And he's like, oh. And I'm like, and my kids are, like, you know, eight and shit. And I'm like, I'm like, like, this is PG, but it's so, like, weirdly not PG. Okay, I have to, I have to stop you there. He does not leave Natasha Richardson for the young, hot stepmom. That is not what happens. I just want That's that fine. to be That's fine. That's fine. I'm free to be, I'm, I'm, I'm okay to be. Corrected on that. Oh, yeah, it's canon for the podcast that Drew is often wrong. You just, you just <laughs> I get, see. let him go. Well, well Correct me. just so everywhere. No one would ever leave Natasha for anyone. They had they had a kerfuffle. They had a fight. That's right. And then they got divorced and then lived on different continents, which is a very important uh, thing to do when you get divorced. So. That was one thing. They lived on different conf, uh, continents. They had twin daughters. They split the twin daughters mm-hmm. and somehow agreed that they would never tell either twin about the existence of the other. It's incredibly twisted. It's incredibly <laughs> it's twisted. It's monstrous. And it is. It is. And, and and they do such a good job of making you forget that. It's kind of like mind control. You're like, this is such a sweet, cute movie. And then at the end, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> what was the long game here? Like, it just, it's horrible. I remember also, uh, Lindsay Lohan does, like, because she's twin. She plays two roles. She does a really, really great job. Like, it's clear, like, yeah. she's going to be a star. And she, also, she does an English accent. And she has a good English accent. And it was amazing to me that, like, she was a child star who did a flawless English accent. And then she became an adult who did a really, really awful, like, affected pan-European accent of unknown origin once she, like, owned her own club in, like, Mykonos or whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, she had, a like, a Madonna phase. Right? Yes. She just kind of, like, adopted an accent at random. Yes, totally. It was from the accent slot machine. It was incredible. Maybe it was on purpose. She's such a good actress. You have to. You have to wonder. You know yeah, what? It's like a it deep be. cover. Yeah, it could be her greatest play. It could be like when Joaquin Phoenix did. Uh, did I'm not there and like was like a tr- <laughs> like like a troll. Like he, he like he had a he had a mental breakdown in Letterman. But like it was like it was like oh it's an, like he sprang up and was like it's an art project. Yeah, that's what Lindsay exactly. Lohan was doing when she was like for some reason posting a lot about like Erdogan. For a yeah, year. It could, I still believe in Lindsay. I still have hope for her that she's going to come back and bring it all back. She's she's so good, and especially rewatching that movie, I'm like, damn, this girl is like 12, and she's killing it in two parts. It's just unbelievable. So, you know, I, I'm Team Lindsay. I hope she's coming back. Have you uh, since the croissant experiment? You said you don't cook, so I assume after no. the croissant experiment, you didn't real you it didn't pique your interest in learning more about cooking. Well, technically. Baking it, to me is is weirdly easier than cooking, even though some people say it's supposed to be much harder because of all the math and everything. Yes, there's math. But um, but for some reason, I find baking less intimidating. Uh, maybe maybe because it's not like the main event and it's like a dessert, and if it gets fucked up, it's not a huge deal. But but I've since made cookies. Ooh. And they didn't look right, but they tasted good. Oh, that's <laughs> all right. I think that's okay. And. 
And so maybe I'm on a, maybe I'm on a bit of a cooking or a baking, you know, a journey. Were you, it's hard to say. Were you sober when you made the cookies? No. (laughs) I was also high. It's a good, it's a good act. But I felt like I had you know, to recreate the magic of my first baking experience. I think that's, I think that's good. It's a fun thing to do because like, you know, if you spill some flour or something, you're, you're not sober enough to care. You're like, oh. Right. Like, oh, right. oh, just uh, let me snort some of that flour. It's fine. It's a <laughs> we had like a, a cooking wall. Like there's like a little block of the week where I make dinner like very gently stoned. Like I'm this just like absolute elderly person, low dose edible thing, <laughs> which yeah. mostly just makes me like pasta more, which is because I'm like already pretty into it. So it's not really like... But the only real, like, difference I've noticed is, like, a little bit of time dilation and, like, an element of, like, sort of nervousness that I'm going to somehow duff it because I'm high that uh, mm-hmm. is not ordinarily there. But for the most part, I'd say it's it's been a, you know, value add when I've done it. Yeah, I think you're doing the wrong edible if you're nervous. I well, think. not like, it's, I'm just nervous because, you know, I only get to eat pasta once a week and you really don't want to blow it. I see. that That is something I can really relate to. I understand those feelings. David Roth, neurotic? I'm not... No, no, it's, it's charming when I do it. It's different. <laughs> uh, let me ask you, uh, Rachel, because the big news this week, obviously, was the royal family. Oh, Johnny Good, and I there won. He is again. You are you were someone who I one of the better follows during the Oprah interview with uh, Meghan and Harry and Meghan uh, Meghan Markle. Setting out to redeem all Megans with an H and doing a really shockingly good job of it because there are a lot of bad Megans with H's out there. I'm sorry if you're related to one, Rachel. I didn't know him. I'm not. Oh, I'm perfect. Not. But actually, her name is Rachel, Megan Markle. And I wrote a whole story about Wait, how. Wait, it is? Yeah, I was sad that she dropped the Rachel. This was like before she was getting, I, you know, now I look back and I'm like, wow, I should have just shut up. But I was trying to be funny about like how she dropped the Rachel and how I felt betrayed, but I really love Megan. You know, she's from, she went to Northwestern. I'm from Chicago. I'm from the suburbs. I feel like basically we're the same person because of that. Yeah, (laughs) you are. You're practically related. And she, so she was Rachel Megan Markle or was the Megan pulled from somewhere? Rachel Megan Markle. And then she just went by Megan Markle. And I felt like I was cheated out of a lot of like Royal merch that I could have bought. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she could have been princess Rachel. I I I wonder if it was like, well, there's two things. I wonder if, it, if an agent was like, oh, yeah, no, Rachel, that's not a sellable name. No one knows that it's name. too ethnic. Yeah. <laughs> way, way, way too exotic and foreign to American people. Or if it was a SAG thing where there was already a Rachel Markle actress and she couldn't have that bill. Because you, you cannot have the same name as another actor in the union. That's why, like, Michael J. Fox is not Michael Fox. Mm. Like, they're, like... Like you, like you have to have your own station, which is why you get a lot of middle initials and, and shit like that. So I was, yeah, I, I didn't. I think it might just be because it was alliterative and sounded better, which is like the explanation that I sort of landed on after trying to contact everyone, including the queen. Um, and you know, I don't have, I'll never have the real answer, but it, I think it just kind of sounds better, Meghan Markle. Um, how far it. did you get trying to contact the queen? How far in the chain did you reach? I wrote her a letter because that was the only way to contact her. Um, I never heard back, uh, which is fine. But I, I, you know, I just called a bunch of like royal attaches and I was like, why did she drop the Rachel? And they were like, I don't know. Did, Please leave me alone. Uh, did you like when you called, did you, did you say, is this the firm? No, I didn't know about the firm. 
I don't, the, the truth is like, I know very little about any of this. I just find the gossip very exciting. And I was really looking forward to like the monumental juiciness of the interview. And then I ended up being very moved by it. And also um, it delivered on the juice. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. they gave the goods. Like it, it was like everything. It was so much better. My, my boyfriend's laughing at me because I was having like a full like range of emotional responses for two hours. <laughs> like I was screaming, I was crying. I was going like, holy fuck. I was jumping up and down. It was so intense. I don't think I've ever had such a reaction to a television interview before. This is funny because I like I only consumed the reaction to it online, most of which just given the I mean, I follow a ton of people, but almost all of them like were just sort of going out of their way to be like, just so everyone knows, I don't care about this thing that's happening on TV right now. Yeah, like, that was weird. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I absolutely care. That's, yeah. a, that's a big Mike Francesa <laughs> move to do that. Okay. Yeah, I've never heard of it. You know, it's not as important to me as uh, the Jets <laughs> and the defensive back situation. Yeah. So were you like, obviously you said you were a little surprised to be moved by it, but like, what is it oh. like to be startled by this particular something that you know is going to be kind of stagey and you know stilted in a way i first of all to your point about people saying they don't care like i the only thing i feel that way about a little bit at sports but i try not to be that person that's like yeah. who cares about sports because oh, who cares sports ball who cares like yeah right who cares about who cares right it doesn't matter um but i i think i was expecting it to be very like um like they were going to be sort of cagey and not really give up a lot of information. And um, I didn't expect them to be so open and I didn't expect Megan to be, Megan's sort of story to be so moving. I don't know, I, when she started talking about suicidal ideation, I was really moved and really uh, just, it was very, very sad. And I don't know, Oprah is fucking amazing. I like, obviously we knew that, but we just haven't seen her in action in a while. Yeah, that was the um, thing. I was like, I was already for a circle jerk that it was gonna be two hours of just sort of them just puffing each other up and like not really doing anything. But like, not only Megan, but Harry, they, they came across as very genuine and very mm-hmm. open. And then when they when they said stuff like, you know, like like when when Harry said you know, after my father stopped taking my calls, Oprah was like, wait, hang on. Say more about that. Like she act, she wrote, she asked all the follow-up questions. She was like, oh, yeah. there was someone who complained that like, well, Oprah didn't ask them like who or why. She asked all of that. It was Megan She asked Kelly like six times. Complained. Yeah. Yeah. She asked so many times and so many different, she's so good at the follow-up question and she's so good at, um, like asking the follow up, and if they say they don't want to answer, she'll like circle back to it five questions later in a new way, which I think is just brilliant. Yes. It was like journalism porn. I, I was like, this is the best. I, this is so amazing. I'm so, I, I'm learning so much from her. She's sort of fearless. I mean, granted, she's Oprah and she knows that I think she can push it further than anyone else could right. because there's a level of trust there. Um, but I do think that she is just like so. Uh, so specifically good at that at that thing where like she won't let something die, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't feel annoying. Yeah, because it's interesting because yes, she had she had she had advantages in the fact that she's Oprah. She arranged it entirely through her company. You know, she mm-hmm. had she had almost equal stature, if not greater stature, than those two did, and they already agreed. But uh, you know, beforehand, I know she said that like nothing is off limits, but they had to agree to the nothing off limits thing. So mm-hmm. there were like some established boundaries that were agreed upon so that they were all 
they were all comfortable. Like if I went to Meghan Markle on the street and was just like asking all this shit, she'd be like, fuck you, go away, right? Right, right. <laughs> Even if you I definitely most... circled back. <laughs> the other thing was that there were- I think most journalists would, would have that, re- that Meghan response, except for Oprah. Yeah. But I think part of the reason Oprah is Oprah is because she's so good at that. So it's like a sort of endless loop of- of, uh, I don't know what I'm saying, but the point is only Oprah could do it. <laughs> That's right. Cause also there were also, there were moments where like daytime Oprah flashed and like, I, yeah. like I rolled my eyes for a second. Cause she would be like, she, like, she'd be like, Oh, and you're having a baby. Whoa, stop. What's the baby. Oh. And like, but that also is part of ingratiating yourself with the subject so that they she had to do that. Yeah. So that they feel comfortable with you. So she would be like, Whoa, Hey, Whoa, hold up. And she would do she, like, she'd add a bit of Oprah flourish to it, but it all worked. It was all, mm-hmm. And I was doing the thing where I was trying to be macho because my wife was watching it. And I was the thing where I'm looking at my phone. I was like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll be in the room while you watch it. And I won't be. But I have to look at sports yes, scores yes, the but whole I'll, time. I'll, I'll, I'll look at shit posts <laughs> on Twitter. You know? But I'm listening the whole time. I listen to the whole goddamn interview. And I'm looking up and like periodically looking up. And then I just stay looking up like as the thing goes along. For me, like the thing as an outsider that has blown me away about this whole deal is that Meghan Markle seems like quite obviously to be one of just the most delightful people you could meet. Like she's like this super beautiful, poised, like, you know, and intelligent woman who has absolutely driven the dumbest people in the United Kingdom completely out of their mind to the point where they're like where Piers Morgan destroyed his career (laughs) <laughs> because he couldn't not say racist shit about her. Right. right. So amazing. The derangement effect that like this seemingly like innocuous person could have is like remarkable to me from the outside. Uh there are two yeah, oh, she... sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say she was so um composed in a way that like if Oprah was staring me in the face asking me those questions, I I just couldn't believe how calm she was and how she just like had a really good answer for everything. And she was much better at it than Harry. Yeah. Harry was kind of like, uh, 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 you know, and she was like, no, I know exactly what I want to say. And I'm going to say it in a really great way. And <laughs> I just found it. And I just found it great. She also had great little like, Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Really meaningful. Yeah. Definitely. Like, like, like meaningful pauses where it's like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, she knows some shit and she, she yeah, wants exactly. to say it, but she can't, but like, Exactly. Yeah. She's very sad. The other thing about Harry during the whole interview, they were both dressed, you know, impeccably. And but his jacket like had a fold behind the collar. And I wanted mm. to crawl into the TV and pull his jacket down like a parrot, like to like, correct <laughs> wow. it. Wow. I can't believe no one caught that on set. Right. Right. You would think yeah. they would have their shit together. And yeah. Him and his J. Crew suit. So there are two questions I want to ask you um about the interview. Because the first one is that Megan said she didn't really look too hard into the royal family before she married into it, and that she was sort of naive going in. That I found incredulous. That I didn't quite believe. Did you believe her when she said it? I think, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, for whom that would be true. Like, but again, if I were in Megan's situation, I would Google the shit out of everything. <laughs> right. She said, she said she didn't Google Prince Harry yeah. before she married. I'm like, I'm like, really? But it's possible, it's possible that, she doesn't suffer from the same like compulsive neurotic uh, curiosity that like I do. And a lot of my friends do, right? Like we would all be Googling and discussing and whatever. Maybe she's just that chill of a person. And she just kind of was like, okay, I'll see where this goes. I mean, I find that hard to believe just that any person would be like that, but it's, I I can't 
I can't like surmise on Meghan Markle's psyche, but yeah, I found that a little hard to hard to buy. But you know, we got we could give her that. We could give her that one. All right. So the the other thing I want to ask, and we had a debate about this among the defector staff, where one of the things that they said, Oprah asked, you know, would you have stayed in the family had you not gotten the support and all that stuff? And both of them said unequivocally, yes, absolutely. And so I think it was our Bernico said, well, look, that kind of undercuts all the points they're making where it was like, if you had simply accommodated us, we would have been part of this whole bullshit monarchy shit show that really shouldn't exist and just absolutely sucks. <laughs> and I'm sort of on the middle ground on that. I wonder where you came out where you think it's okay. First of all, do you believe that they would have stayed in the family or if they're just saying that to be nice, but if they had, if that was ethical? This is so funny that we're like, I have no idea. I, this is, I barely ever think about this stuff, but I haven't thinking about it all week. Um, I do, I do think that, that our interpretation of their interview is a bit of an extrapolation. Like they never were like the monarchy is essentially a corrupt institution that should be burned to the ground. That's like the, that's like the sort of American takeaway. Yes. Um, so it's not even clear if they feel the way I think Harry certainly doesn't. I think someone was like, he's being deprogrammed. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like he's still in the cult, you know, he's still being like slowly pulled away. I don't know if they're there yet. I mean, I'm sure Megan is, but I don't know if like as a couple that they're even there yet. Um, so is it, is it ethical to be part of the monarchy? Like, absolutely not. But um, I, I wonder how far along they are in their own like internal journey on recognizing that. But I do think that the, that them saying <laughs> that they would go back if they were nicer. I do feel like that was probably a PR move because um, you know, they have to kind of play both sides a little bit. They, they have to, they have to make sure that they're, what they say is defensible in the sense that like, the, they can't, the queen or whoever, the firm, the institution can't come out and be like, that was nasty. You said horrible things about us. Ooh, they were dreadful. They told the line so, dreadful. <laughs> they told the line so well, I think, because they never really talk that much shit. They were just kind of like affirming and denying things and putting in little tidbits. It was brilliant. I think it was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, there were there inferences to both Prince William and Prince Charles being fuckers but yeah. they didn't say it outright but it was like they barely said anything that bad actually it was a lot of just implication like yeah yeah like harry was never came out and was like oh my brother and my dad they suck they have awful taste in mistresses <laughs> they're just terrible people like it was just like like it was all those all those sort of pregnant no pun intended pauses from megan just being like hmm. like exactly like, uh, like knowing the other thing was that i'll ask you one more thing before we take a break uh because harry was both of them were very very insistent on saying that the queen was very cool and chill uh, to them. And they sound very genuine, but I still believe that she's like, she's the lead dragon of the whole evil enterprise and she's a piece of shit. But am I wrong? I don't know. That confused me too, because they kept talking about the institution and I was like, well, she's the main. Um, And I don't really understand how, how this all goes down without her approving it. Uh, unless she's like really sort of out of it at this point and people are just making decisions for her. Isn't she they like sort of imply. Years old? I mean, like, yeah, that's... she's very old. And maybe she's just kind of being led by her advisors at this point, in which case I do believe that maybe she's cool and like doesn't really know what's going on. However, in like the, the CBS, like this morning, next day breakdown, they, they had a new clip where Harry and Meghan talked about how the how their grandma was like, they invited her, invited them to Sandringham, the like country estate. But then, then later her advisors like, actually you can't come after, 
after some event happened. So mm. it does seem like she's being puppeted a bit. So it's not really clear. I, but that really confused me as well. I, I didn't really understand. Or she that. might have the ace move that a lot of leaders do where where they can they can blame it on a lackey. You know, they say, right, like, right. oh, well, my, oh, I'm so sorry my people were so rude to you. But they're not going to fire right. those people. Like, they're going to keep, like. That's a good point. It's possible she hides behind them, too. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's impossible to, I, I, I couldn't really understand what they were saying when they were like, but the queen's fine. But the whole institution she runs is bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's <laughs> rude that she never returned your letter. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, that alone shows what kind of character we're dealing with. <laughs> I've enjoyed thoroughly uh, America explaining the monarchy back to Britain. It's been <laughs> great fun. But yes. let's take a break and come back and play some games. And we're back. You ready to play Dead or Cancelled, Rachel Handler? Yes. All right. We're going to play Dead or Cancelled. The way this works is I'm going to give you someone. You tell me whether or not they're dead or cancelled. If they're both, dead takes precedence. Okay? You got it? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Is the following person dead or canceled? Your clue this week, Mufasa. Is Mufasa dead or canceled? <laughs> dead. Dead. That is correct. Mufasa is dead, not canceled. <laughs> Pepe Le Pew was canceled this week, although I feel like Pepe Le Pew was already canceled like in 2014 for being a serial sexual predator. But we've had the discussion all over again. Now we get to have, now people get to get really upset about it. Yeah. I'm like, Speedy Gonzalez is going to appear on Tucker Carlson's show in character. <laughs> uh, and then your guy of the week. Uh, it's not a sports guy of the week, Roth. I apologize for Rachel's That's sake. It's all right. uh, your guy of the week is Isaac Mizrahi, fashion designer Isaac Mizrahi. Remember that guy, Rachel? Yes, of course. Uh, is Isaac still, he's still like a reality show judge on some show. That I don't know if he's still a judge, but uh, I hope so, you know. I just remember there was a documentary about him that like a lot of people love, but this was like in like the 1990s or something like that. And then he did like like a designer collection for like Target that was like yes. cool or something like that. Yeah, he the so the last time I saw his name before looking at the rundown to this was I've been working on uh, kind of a it's not really a journalistic project because it's it's entirely based on using Twitter's advanced search. But uh, Greg Kelly, the former, uh, the son of uh, oh, former NYPD chief Ray Kelly, and also the former uh, host of Good Day New York, and also a credibly accused sex creep, uh, is a host on one of the the new fake Trumpy cable news networks, and he communicates entirely like he talks like he's doing the James Austin Johnson Trump imitation, like that's like just how he speaks on air now, and his posts are all like. Like, really erratically punctuated attempts at replicating Trump's posts. So, like, just out of nowhere, he'll be like, whatever happened to Sandy Dennis? Did you ever notice that, like, McDonald's doesn't have McFish if you go there in the morning? Like, it's all just, like, pure King's things, but, like, filtered through, like, some sort of ambient big city fash element. Right. And I've been trying to figure out when he started posting like Trump. Like, when he was doing the, like, weird sort of, like telegram style diction and strange punctuation so i've been going back through like just looking at posts he did in like 2017 and he almost never tweeted 
Uh, and the last post of his that I found was him talking about going to see Isaac Mizrahi perform at the Carlisle Hotel. Whether he was singing or telling stories, I don't know. Oh. Uh, but Greg Kelly was like, I really enjoyed it. Like, I didn't even mind the cover charge that much, like, smiley face. And so, like, that's what he used to be like. But now he's, uh, now he's a full-time uh, Trump manquet on television. I have, a, I have a story to to link to that. I was working at an ad agency... I was an ad lackey, and one of the things that my boss made me do was go with her to a client to the Carlisle Hotel to watch Barbara Cook sing for the lounge. Like, that's what you did. You paid, I think, I think the cover charge is like $50 or $100 to yeah. watch someone like Bobby Short or Barbara Cook. I think they're both now deceased. You know, sing standards to a room full of old drunk people. And Barbara Cook, like, was like, ah, this might offend some people out there, but I'm going to sing this song anyway. And the song was called I'm Cooking Breakfast for the One I Love. And I was like, <laughs> so she sang that to own the libs before owning the libs was a thing. And I was wow. like, I was like, I feel like I'm 9,000 years old, but I'm like an apprentice ad guy, and I have to just drink my whiskey and pretend I'm enjoying this shit. Did you, get, you should have gotten up and stormed out. <laughs> be like, change the lyrics to like, I'm cooking breakfast with the one I love. <laughs> I did not. 2010. Yeah, I did not. I did not do that. <laughs> Rachel Handler, would you like to answer some questions from the Defector Fun Bag? Yes. Yeah, you just got to keep saying yes. Yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, I would make love a, to. You'd make a fantastic. No. <laughs> you'd make a fantastic. We would end the podcast. You'd be fantastic in an improv troupe because you you say yes and yes instead and. Of saying no. By the way, Second City in Chicago now owned by a hedge fund, so that's exciting. Oh, wow. Good luck to them. I'm excited to have like all the Belushi family descendants stripped for parts and sold to like other hedge funds. Kevin writes in because of quarantine pandemic madness. What's one thing you have completely stopped doing? I legitimately don't remember the last time I wore a belt. Rachel, has there been anything you have stopped doing in the past year? I mean, to that, to that end, I, I, I have not put on jeans in a year. And I actually, actually, that's not true. I put them on once. And I was like, this is horrible. I was like, is this always how this felt? Yeah. I, I, I couldn't remember. I was like, did it always feel this way? And I was just sort of inured to the feeling? Or am I just like, have I gained weight? Or is this like, I, I literally couldn't tell. Yeah. If I, I'd always had that experience or if something had changed. And I'll, and I'll never know because I wasn't paying attention before. So I'll just I, have to live in a post-denim world. I had the exact same experience. <laughs> like I wore jeans and I got in the car and I was like, these things are like on me. Like they're like they're touching they're like gripping my body very tight. I don't know. So are you all both like just full on athleisure lifestyle? Oh like, yeah. The, jo- the thousand jogging pants mentality. I'm wearing bike shorts right now. I only wear bike shorts or leggings or like sweatpants or occasionally I'll put like a pair of tights on with a skirt, but jeans are I mean, I already was like not a huge jeans fan, but I don't know if I can go back to that life. I do have to, I put them on every day because it's like how I draw the distinction between like the part of the day where I'm lying down and the part of the day where I'm periodically standing up. You put them on <laughs> like every that's like, day? It's like my uniform. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, they're not like, it's different. I don't wear especially tight jeans or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, you couldn't. It would be but so But it's not alluring. a visual medium, so the listeners don't know how I'm dressed. Okay. But the... Like the idea of, for me, it's like the idea of like trying to fix my shit before I go outside in general. Like the idea of like shaving in a way that reflects any sort of care or like trying to fix my hair. Like basically like I, I 
get myself neat enough not to offend my wife, and then the rest of it is just like letting the chips fall where they may. Wow, that's tr- much much more than I've ever done. In the it seems year. like it. I I was really kind of feeling a little down about it, and then both of you guys are like, "I'm never putting on pants again." <laughs> right. It's it's that shit's over. That's the old me. Like I feel great now. <laughs> yeah, we had we like we have some uh, some colleagues who like who haven't have had their hair cut in like a year or haven't like shaved in a year. I shaved. I haven't had my hair cut in a year. I I also haven't done my hair in a year. It's just. Do you like it? That way. I do like it. It's actually kind of been my dream my whole life to never get my hair cut again. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I will do it. I will do it. If mom, if you're listening, I will cut my hair. But um, I, you know, I'm just, I'm enjoying the like wilderness sort of like woods hag vibe that I'm giving off. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, uh, another thing I didn't do. And I'm not, I'm trying not to include like go to the gym or like obvious like external activities that you can't mm-hmm. do because of the pandemic. I'm trying to think about my interior life. And I can't think of things I, I haven't stopped doing because now I realize I never really did all that much to begin with. <laughs> yeah, I've been, it's weird. Like I've been having a, like some minor, you know, apprehension, not really anxiety about the idea of being like, have I forgotten how to go to a bar? No, like, I don't it's real. think that I have. But the idea of like walking in, like I'm not going to do it backwards. Like I'm not going to get like handed a beer and then just instantly pour it down the front of my shirt because I forgot how to use a glass. But it is like it's all it all feels far enough away now that it's like like there's like some sort of doubt about like how natural it would or could feel. I, yeah, I, mean, I think it, it'll, yeah, I think it'll feel weird, but more I'll be more weirded out just imagining all the like particles in the air that I wasn't aware of before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That part of it, like, I might really become like a if I have to take a plane, like I'll just wear a mask. Oh, like, there's definitely forever. a chance I'm that dude for the rest of my life. Absolutely, we'll never wear a plane without a mask. Like, we'll never wear a plane. <laughs> we'll never. <laughs> <Me either. laughs> very hard to wear a plane. <laughs> it's very heavy. Uh, yeah, like there's the you can't put that back in the bottle. Like now, I just see all those illustrations of people spewing at each other everywhere I go. It's it's over. Uh, Matt writes in, at what point in a relationship does it become acceptable to use a gift card to pay for a date? Is it a set number of dates like 20 or once you've reached a certain threshold, like getting engaged, Rachel, would you ever approve of someone using a gift card to pay for a date? I think honestly, if it was the first date, I'd be a little bit sus. Like I'd be like, come on, come on. You know, but <laughs> but after that, I would not mind. I mean, we're all out here struggling under late capitalism. You know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge you for using a gift card. But uh, but first date, just, you know, just try to be a little more slick than that on the first date. Yeah, it would be funny because it would be like if it was a first date, it was like, oh, what a coincidence. I only happen to have a fifty dollar <laughs> gift card to this Ruth right. Chris. Who would yeah. have guessed? Right, like, right. Like you're a if you go back like far enough, there's certainly somebody that like <laughs> dropped the Groupon on a first date, like back when that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly uh yeah, that would be I'd say over the line. A Groupon would be worse than a gift card, I think. Because like if it's a nice restaurant, then who gives a shit how you pay for it? But if it's a Groupon, it's like this person made a date with me and then endeavored to save money. Yeah. In the, like they insisted that we go to Qdoba first of all. Right. <laughs> or however you say it. And then, <laughs> I'm going to get busted for saying that shit wrong because every I mispronounce a fast casual restaurant chain every episode of this podcast. Uh, I actually used to work at Groupon. Fun fact. Really? Right. Was yes. It, was it fun? Did you? It was like it? so fun. I was there during like the, they just had a ton of money and they were like throwing it at everything. 
Um, I really, yeah. really enjoyed that that time in my life. It was it was ridiculous. It was uh, before every other company realized that they could do the same business model. Yeah, it was like early days, startup yeah. money, just a lot of young kids, no no idea what we're doing. It was very fun. Did you get? I always thought it would be. Did you get free Groupons? I don't think that I did. Oh, I, I, they probably I, weren't like lying around the office. It's like when I worked at the baseball card company, they did they would just like get handed packs of cards. We got Lacroix. That was about it. Oh, I like that though. That's yeah. the uh, that's the uh, the TV writer perk. Yeah, you. exactly. Uh, was it, were you like, what am I doing here? Like the idea of like, why are there so many of us working at this place? Like, what was? Can I ask what the job function was? I was a writer, and it was okay. it was back in the time. Do you remember when their emails were really fun and weird and fu- genuinely yeah. funny? Um, that was like their big thing. Yeah, like they were really funny, and it was actually very sort of. Um, structured and like they were very vigilant about the editorial process they had fact checkers they had copy editors it was like sort of a little mini journalistic enterprise except it was marketing that's kind of cool i learned a lot like i learned a lot about writing i learned a lot about um drinking and (laughs) and it was great i had a lovely time i wouldn't i I didn't ever feel like what am i doing here it was all creative it was all like stand-ups and like artists and actors and people who wanted to be journalists. it was everyone just kind of like on on the road to their next thing so it was really fun my first job was like that and i I still feel pretty warmly towards it even though it was the sort of thing where it was a similar deal where like i definitely started to feel that was like you know i'm older than you but that was like at the end of the first tech bubble and it was like I was there as it was ending. It was clear that it was ending because like the happy hours stopped happening on like Fridays when they <laughs> used to be like mandated. Right. But it was the sort of thing where I was like, this is cool. Like I like even if this only lasts for like six more months, like I like these people and it's good to hang out with them. Yeah, it felt like high school kind of like it was just fun and chill and except we made money. <laughs> I feel like I'll, I'll, also I feel like those jobs. I, I feel like it's an eternal part of being part of the workforce, too, where you look back on your early days of your career uh, and you worked at a company that like had money, like <laughs> because I remember I was working at an ad agency in like uh, in the in the 2000s. And people were like, oh, we used to spend so much money, and you know, we, we used to have parties all the time, and like they would still have parties on like a Tuesday just because it was Tuesday, mm-hmm. and you know, and that like went away. So like I feel like every every progressive generation feels like some sort of incredible corporate party perk was taken away from them, and of course in our industry. The entire industry itself was taken away from us. Yeah. So we, I was gonna say, that's the innovation. <laughs> I was going to say it's a far cry being a journalist from, although I wouldn't say being at Groupon was that fancy or anything like that. We did have good parties. Um, but just in terms of like the the sense of having a lot of capital. Well, I remember being in my 20s and just if I was able to work at a company I had heard of, that was like amazing to me. Like... <laughs> Like, I was like, ad agencies I had heard of, I was like, oh my God, I work at Ogilvy, the Ogilvy, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, I, I remember I was in college and I sent like cover letters to like Calvin Klein and like Ralph Lauren, it was like, like not even specifying what job I wanted. Like I, I couldn't even think of what, <laughs> just like, I'm a young man who is preppy and I'm interested <laughs> yeah. in opportunities that you're concerned. Yeah. How, yeah. Like how many people at Nike work at Colby, sir? Or how many went to Colby, sir? Like, <laughs> you clearly need diversity of people who went to a small <laughs> liberal arts school in Maine. <laughs> of a different type of white than you've encountered before. <laughs> right. It was really just, I, I, picked, I picked a job based on whether or not it would have cool people to drink with. And if I succeeded in that, well, that was cool. Hey, Chad writes in, Rachel. 
Uh, he says, rank the greatest TV show intro bits of all time. We're talking Cheers, Miami Vice, Dallas, the A-Team, greatest American hero. You know all the great ones. I'm sappy, and I hate to say it, but my number one will always be Cheers. Rachel Handler, what is your greatest TV intro segment of all time? TV intro segment? Wow. I feel like I, I do not watch the intros ever, so I'm now I'm a little bit stuck. Do you hit the skip intro button? Always, always, always. I mean, I like the Sopranos one because it's really I think it's really bad. That like was my number. Oh, you don't like it? <laughs> no, I think it's awful. I, I it's so long. It, it's just very sort. It just feels very '90s uh, in a way, but in a way that I love. Like, it's not it's not like snazzy. It's not like that interesting. He's kind of just driving. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's nothing that special about it, and I don't think it's i feel like they could have done better but that's what i like about it it is very 90s but as somebody who's from the northern part of new jersey i have to uh, take issue with the fact that it looks ugly because i think <laughs> i actually think it looks great the pulaski skyway pizza town of car of like carlstadt new jersey i don't mean that all... the that the oh, sites I know, I look know. bad i mean just the filming quality is not like it's not it doesn't the rest of the show looks very different than the intro yeah, it does. It, it's dated. And that song also was kind of funny because like there were definitely I remember like coming home and going to like, you know, the bars in my hometown on like right before Thanksgiving, like when, you know, the cliche time to go to bars and they would like play that song and people would like get pumped. No, it's a like they would just sort of like it became a New Jersey anthem. We we have that. Really We've had like this conversation a, before, but the whole song sucks. Yeah, it's, it's sucks. terrible. That's a big like part a, of why the intro is ridiculous. And it's like a British band doing like American Southern moves, which is like the single cringiest <laughs> invention in the history of music. I, I, I also, how do, how do people get pumped to that song? It's so slow. Because they're in New Jersey. Like, I don't, what do you like, imagine? How do you dance? Like, I'm just trying to pick, it's like, woke up this more. Like, how do you? No, they don't dance. They get like intense. I, uh, it's like, it's fucked up. Like, it like starts fights. Like, it is not like what you want as an energy in a bar, but like. <laughs> Somehow McMurphy's knew something about the the deal, you know people That's that were there. It's such a dark song to get pumped about too. I have to tell yeah. you that I loved it and I still love it because I it brings back memories to me of like like back when TV was TV and it wasn't streaming. Like we would watch it every Sunday night at nine o'clock, mm -hmm. and so when the intro came on, you couldn't skip it, and it was like it got me pumped for the episode. I was like. Like, oh, got yourself a gun. Someone's going to have a gun in the show, and I'm going to shoot somebody else, and it's going to rule. It's going to be awesome. And then a 50-minute dream sequence would pass, and no one gets shot, and I'd yell at, like, the water cooler. The next time. But I always love the intro. So, all right, I have my personal, I think the obvious number one is The Simpsons. That, to me, is the number one. Yeah, one of all time, and the one I like the least is South Park. Even though I like South Park, I think South Park's intro song is fucking horrible. And I like it's Primus, reading. but I hate the South Park intro. You know, a, a likable uh, TV show intro song that I think about a lot is the the Matlock one. It's just kind of like a, a pleasant, uh, like sort of a song you might hear while you were waiting uh, to be served someplace. <laughs> <laughs> but I think about it often, and I find it very soothing. I thought Magnum PI had a bitchin' introduction, but I never yeah, even I never even watched shows the show. don't do that shit anymore. Like, there's hardly ever an intro. Like, I guess like HBO still does it because like they don't have to worry about like cramming in commercials or whatever. But like all those like the shows that like when I was a kid, there'd be just like they devote two minutes of the show to like a credit montage just because like they didn't want to rush to the like and John Ratzenberger credit. They were like, right. let the song play. They also um, the Sopranos even though I really like that intro, did sort of create the format for every modern show's intro credits now, where it's very austere 
and they list the cast and they list a few credits and who wrote and directed that particular episode. And then bam, you get the title of the show. Like, Oh, I didn't know I was watching six feet under. And then, <laughs> and then it goes to the show. I was watching the outsider in HBO and it had a great intro because it had none of that shit. Like, like it just said, like the, the, the screen itself like burned like it was a piece of celluloid and it said the outsider and then you went to the rest of the story and they just didn't and then and then they went on after that they went on with their lives which I liked hmm. it would be good if that show which I know is supposed to be spooky if they did like an 80s style one where it's like a freeze frame of like Jason Bateman cutting up and then his name showed up in like a puffy type <laughs> yeah. I think that would be a nice choice just to lighten the mood I also uh Oh, I, uh, oh, I loved uh, I loved the Stranger Things intro. Even though I'm I'm dying to cut the cord on Netflix, I always watch the Stranger Things. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, let's see. Let's get. Can you stay for one more, Rachel? Sure. All right. Juha writes in the podcast main chat. Which one made me think about how I, as a European, would probably know absolutely nothing about the state of Maine if it wasn't for Stephen King? It would be just like Delaware and Wayne's <laughs> World to me. I also once visited Louisiana mainly because of James Lee Burke's books and the Olympic Peninsula in Washington, thanks to Laird Barron. I don't know who Laird Barron is, and I don't know who James Lee Burke is. Are there any places that you, Rachel Handler, associate mainly with a specific writer or artist with no other real connection to them? Wow. I kind of got a little spaced out during that question, to be That's honest. okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm lost. You lost me. But okay. Are you stoned and baking right art. now? I'm very stoned. It's 11 a.m. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay. I, the only reason I'm going to say this is because I was already thinking about this show, but I feel like the OC is like the only thing I know about it is the show, the OC. Like, I don't know anything else about the place. I don't know. I it just ex, I exclusively that like so whole stretch of California to me is just like a fictionalized, like uh, a place where like high school kids look really old and yes. hot and are having like parties with alcohol on a weeknight. Yeah, like and the only reason I said that show is because I was just thinking about that credit sequence, which I think is a good one um, and a good credit song. It is. Uh, yeah, it is. But in terms of yeah, like in terms of a, a specific artist that I associate with a place. I mean, I don't know. I, I, or just like a place that you know through an artist is like how I sort of read the question. So not a place that you just know like through art, which is the way. Yeah, I that. It. No, no, like that's that. that's too new. That's too nuanced, Roth. The stupider oh, version of the bad. question is is better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was like overthinking. I, it I, I, I underthought it. <laughs> well, it's cool. This is somewhere in the. This is what the podcast yeah, yeah, is yeah, all yeah, about: yeah. is the tension between those two different ways of, of getting things wrong. What about you, Roth? Like, do you only think of like Ireland in terms of like James Joyce and you too, or like? Or is it? I mean, like, I've never been. I mean, like the I, the only experiences I've had of it are like I remember uh, going to Venice when I was studying in Italy, and I'd known it from. From Death in Venice, which I had to read for a class, which I didn't really like very much, and through, uh, like, a Ian McEwan book about, like, just um, The Comfort of Strangers, which is all, like, you know, very dark and menacing and kind of, like, you know, yeah, great movie, great Christopher Walken monologue in oh it. Like, God. there's really good shit in it. Oh, I do a great about... uh, Christopher Walken impression, Roth. You want... No, we don't, <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> it, I do recommend, Drew, that you watch that, though, because hearing that monologue in your Christopher Walken imitation would be a truly <laughs> harrowing experience. But the... So I knew... And so, Rachel, you know, if you saw that movie, like, Venice looks, like, really cool, but really, like, scary. It's really scary. It made me never want to go. And so I went there, and I promise you it is not scary, because it's just <laughs> Australian tourists barfing off of boats. <laughs> 
like it's just the most well i mean i was there during a summer and it was like nice and it was a you know sort of a touristic time or whatever but it was like just if i couldn't find anything that felt like the city at all like there was like some alleys and stuff and like we stayed at a place where i was you know like it felt like it was an old building but the rest of it was just like wherever it wasn't like i wanted to have like christopher walken in a white suit like eventually murder me (laughs) which but at the time like i i was a little disappointed that that felt so far away that instead it was just like places where like the the menu was only in german and it was like only for people that you know like were going to a big 10 school so my answer sorry go ahead (laughs) no no go ahead rachel it's fine i was just gonna say they made it more appealing even in don't look now which is a really fucked up movie but like even there i was like i want to go to i want to go there but once i saw comfort of strangers i was because it feels like a thing that might happen to me i don't know like i could see i could see christopher walken murdering me (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and all those and, Can't, don't I mean, we all whatever. Don't look now is a funny other thing. So like, basically, like I expected Venice to go. I expected to go there and be killed in an interesting way. Yeah. And now, what I'm complaining about here, just to make it explicit, I'm sad that I wasn't murdered. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. I'm I'm sad for you that you weren't. <laughs> Thank you. By I way, totally my, understand both feelings. And my I answer, uh, by the way, is Dubuque, Iowa, because there's an ad stuck in my head from like either the 80s or the 90s. There's an ad, there was an ad campaign for Levi's jeans where they just profiled the town, like kids in a town, and they described the town, but they're all wearing like Levi's jeans. And, uh, and they, for some reason, they had Dubuque, Iowa. And I was like, Dubuque must be a cool town if Levi's is there. And one of the kids was like, Dubuque is just a car town. Everybody does a car. Like, he, that's verbatim what he said. And so whenever, I think, a of, car? And whenever I think of Dubuque, Iowa, I'm like, oh, that's the car town. <laughs> What does it mean to do a car? To like have a car? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like let's do lunch and said let's do let's do a car. <laughs> I don't know if you're from Dubuque and and you don't own a car. I apologize because yeah, reach out. Tell us what it means. No to other do a car. no other car towns in the Midwest I can think of. Certainly not. No other no other it's cities with a motor background that I can <laughs> immediately spring to mind. <laughs> Rachel Handler, it was lovely having you on. Would you come on again sometime? Yes, I would love to. Thank you so much. Well, fantastic, because you can find Rachel Handler's work at Vulture at New York Magazine. You can find her on Twitter, and the Twitter is at Rachel underscore Handler dot com. Don't forget that underscore, because otherwise you will get the actress Rachel Handler instead, who is Rachel Handler of New York Magazine's nemesis. Is that correct? Oh, yes. No, I don't know her at all. She seems very sweet. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's not the answer I want. I wanted, you, I wanted you to be like, well, she works for the firm, and I must have her. <laughs> Brandon Nix is a producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com, too, while you're at And don't forget to check out the incredible Rachel Handler. Thank you, Rachel Handler. Thank you so much. See ya. Bye. Bye.